Hello, welcome to More Than Just a Vet, a podcast where I explore the lives of veterinary professionals when they are not at work. I want to know what's behind of the surgical mask of the man or the woman who try to help our animals. What are their struggles? What are their passions? Why did they choose the veterinary profession path? Is it as glamorous and fantastic as we've seen in some TV programs? Or is there more to it? My name is Francisco Gomez. Welcome to my show. Chris, this is Chris. He uh, he works in the, in the Midlands, and um, you were born in uh, in London. You're from London, right? Yeah, I grew up in London. Okay, so Chris, tell us tell us a, a little bit more about you. So for me, it's one I grew up in London. Um, when I went to school in London, um, I was good at computers, so. I was always pushed to do computers and IT work. Um, so I went through school basically doing computers, IT stuff, went to college, did IT in college, um, and then realized um, it didn't make me happy. So Let me, let me stop you. Yeah, so you, you, you're a vet surgeon, right? Uh, yeah. I'm, in the right, I'm with the right person. I am a vet surgeon. <laughs> okay, carry on, carry on. Um, so, so from, from college, um, I actually met my first vet when I was 19. So I'd never seen a vet. I, I didn't know what if vet really did. Um, I'd seen I'd seen some stuff on TV um, with things like vet programs when I was growing up as a kid, um, but I never actually considered myself actually doing anything like that. Um, so when I was nineteen, one of my friends was studying vet nursing, um, and I came across vet nursing textbook. Um, and flicking through it, I saw a surgery part, and I was like, I could do that because that looks like fun. Um, <laughs> So from there, um, I went, I went and I followed the kind of mature student route into um, into my first degree, which was by veterinary science. Um, so I did that um, based on that, um, and the fact that doing by veterinary science was supposed to get me into vet school, and it was advertised as like a stepping stone into vet school. What they didn't really tell me at that point, they didn't tell me it cost me loads and loads of money and I wouldn't <laughs> get a student loan to do it as a second degree. Uh-huh. Um, so I did my biophotomy science um, degree and then I ended up um, going to Slovakia and study veterinary medicine in Slovakia simply because um, I couldn't afford to do it in the UK. So when I went to Slovakia, the tuition fees were about 7,500 euros and accommodation was 120 euros a month. Is that, um, is that per year the seven thousand per year? I see. So, um, it, it, was it? Did you choose Slovakia because it was the cheapest, or because um, because you, you you did things as a EU citizen because we were in the EU? Is that right, or it would yeah. not matter? So, being in the EU, it meant I was basically entitled to live in that country. I could study in that country. I did, I didn't have to do any fees just to move to that country. So, I moved to Slovakia and lived in Slovakia for five years. Um. And I'd, I basically had to register with police to do so, but I didn't have any fees or immigration oh. or stuff like that to deal with, um, yes. which was brilliant. Um, moving moving abroad, obviously, it was a big move. Um, yeah. And to be fair, it's one of these, I applied, I got into school, um, I finished my first degree, got my grades, my first degree, got on plane to Slovakia, and when I got onto plane and I landed in... I landed in Budapest at that point in time in Hungary, simply uh-huh. because there's no direct flight into Kosice, which is a place in Slovakia where school is. So I landed I in Budapest, 
Uh, Matt Beard pressed the airport and try and find the taxi transfer that I'd booked to get to um, Slovakia. Um, and for me, it's one looking for his transfer. I tried to call the number and I got a message recorded um, in a language I didn't understand. <laughs> so I was very, very confused. Wow. Um, and I'm like, am I really doing this? <laughs> um, anyway. How, how, old, how, how old were you at this point? So I went to... I went to vet school when when I was twenty twenty three, I think. Okay, okay. Um, so there was year what? Sorry, um, I went to vet school in twenty twelve. I see. Um, so I moved to Slovakia in September twenty twelve. Um, yes. And it was sorry. I'm just trying to think about how old it was. Um, it was my birthday yesterday, so it gets a bit confusing. Um, Happy birthday! Did they know this? So it was. I'm 34. So here we go. 2012. That's nine years ago. Um, I was 25 when I went to vet school. Oh, I see. So you did uh, something si very similar to me, but on the opposite side. I I was 26 when I first came to the UK, and the the feeling was was exact, exactly the same. I got into a plane with EasyJet. Uh, landed in, in Liverpool, got into Liverpool, and I, I meant to, the, the simple thing uh, in the world, having to take uh, some form of transport, it was a bus in this case, from um, from Liverpool uh, to uh, to Leeds, where I was going to be trained as a meat inspector. That's, that's the idea I came here for, six, six months for meat inspector, that was 15 years ago. And um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a a clue how to how the the country worked, and it's a little bit different, you know, because I'm from the south, from from Malaga. When people come in from from the UK, uh, we are all very, oh, come in, spend your money. We all trying to you know to to be nice and uh, and speak a little bit of English. Opposite, when I actually went to um uh, to Liverpool, try to get into a shop or anything like that, people were, hmm? who are you? Can't understand you. People weren't actually doing the same thing that I was expecting, and it was quite quite a difficult experience. It's quite it's quite daunting, isn't it? Going into into a different country and 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 try to move yourself, you know, as an adult there. It it was. Um, I had a similar experience. So first time I went shopping in Slovakia, um, we. Were we we had a supermarket close to the dormitory, so I walked down I walked down to the supermarket by myself. Um, a couple of days after they they arrived, just trying to get some basics, so things like ham, cheese, bread, and so on. Yeah. Um, the way the way the shops work, it's very very different. So all breads laid out from bakery, you get bread rolls. You don't really have sliced bread that you get in the UK. Um, the costs the costs are very very different. So you're getting crusty crusty bread rolls for like um ten cents and stuff, oh, which was a brilliant. <laughs> but um things like ham and meats and sausages they were all on the deli counter. So I gone to this deli counter and I'm kind of like I want ham and I'm kind of pointing to it. <laughs> um and the person behind the counter is kind of saying what saying saying how much do you want um which 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 i understand now i didn't understand it then um yes. so i understand it now so so i'm like i don't know i don't understand <laughs> and she's saying it louder and i'm saying i still don't understand <laughs> and i was first on the daily account ended up screaming at me I'm like, <laughs> I'm like luckily someone else in the shop came over at point and was like speaking english and kind of I helped see. and rescued me but i'm like <laughs> 
I I had absolutely no clue. I was I, I was not expecting not to be able to go to shop and not be able to buy something. Yes, um, that's exactly. And I think I think as English, we are just kind of like we expect everyone to talk English. Um, and in Slovakia, it it's recently out of um, communist, communism, where it's all been Russian, and the older people in Slovakia were all taught Russian in school, not English. Yeah. Whereas the young people are taught English now. Um, yeah. It's still changing. Um, so for me, being somewhere where people didn't speak the language I speak, um, was very very different. It's, a, it's an eye opener, isn't it? Because it's actually being involved with a different culture and living, not visiting, actually living in a different culture and, and see how people, you tend to learn how to understand how people react differently. It's not because someone's awkward, it's simply because their culture is different sometimes. It really is. I mean, when you go on holiday somewhere, you tend to go to touristy places. So you tend to go out for food, um, you tend to go to restaurants, you tend to do things like that. You don't really go to a supermarket and buy buy your necessarily kind of like weekly, weekly shop um, and you don't you don't have to deal with banks or yeah. go go and do stuff like that or try and get doctors or medical um, or dentists you know it's a completely completely different world yeah is that university was it in english or was it in office? so the university the university did two courses they did the slovak course um, which is yeah. slovak but they did an english language course so the uh -huh. EU is kind of funny in this way because with the EU, if I could speak Slovak, I could study the same on, on the same terms as a Slovak student. So the Slovak yes. students get their education in university free of charge. Oh, um, but because it was in English, um, and it's a separate course, it's, it's classed as a private university. So yeah. they could charge, which is why they charged that way. Um, yeah. so, so it's one of these. It's, it was really, really interesting. Um, because there was a mix, you, you got you got students and obviously veterans is a small, small world, so everyone knows everyone. Um, yeah. So it's like you got friends that are studying one language and in other languages. Um, so it's, so it makes it very, very interesting. So moving moving forward, uh, you spend how many years in in Slovakia? I did five years in Slovakia. Um, it was supposed to be a four-year course, but I failed parasitology, so I had to repeat the year um, for parasitology. Okay, so um, you are telling me that you are a terrible student. I'm telling you parasitology is very, very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, I will tell you the truth. Um, my, my, um, my, my university course is supposed to have been five years as well. It took me almost seven. So... And because I didn't fail parasitology, I fail about half of the subjects I, they put in front of me. I am a terrible student. So <laughs> thing is, it's one of these. It's a it's it's a job that requires a lot of theory, knowledge, and background knowledge. But it is a practical job in in the end of the day. Yeah. Um, of course. So so it's one it's one for me. My my interest has always been surgery. I went to vet school because I wanted to do surgery. Um, yeah. So obviously, you focus on what you're interested in most, um, and, yeah. and for me, that was surgery. The upside to failing parasitology, um, I had for a year, I had three hours of parasitology classes a week, and I spent the rest of my time learning surgery and spending in the surgery department. So, so, so it's one. The university still charged me for studying parasitology um, oh. for a year. They charged me to repeat the year, but. But I decided it was worth, I might as well get my money's worth, and I went and spent my time with surgery and learnt um, surgery as well. Yeah. 
That, that well, that's clever. Um, I I wanted to to talk to you about more things other than uh, becoming a vet of how you became a vet because you even um you, you write blog posts you you wrote the vet diaries is that right? So when I was in yes. vet school, I did um vet school diary, um because mm. obviously I still had to pay for veterinary school myself. Yeah. Um. So I did part of it through crowd crowdfunding um and promotion through vet school diary. Um. So yes. so that was a big source of income for me. Um. The other thing I did when I was in vet school, I also worked um for another veterinary company um doing technical stuff and IT stuff in the background. Um. Because because it's one of these. I I think I think it's one. If you use skills you've got, you can use skills you've got to do anything you want. So if you want to use skills you've got and you can make money from the skills you've got, um, then obviously it's one. It's one you should go for it. I mean, for me, vet school vet school itself cost me fifty thousand euros basically for yeah. five years of my life, and I'd find that money somehow somewhere because that is a yeah. lot of money realistically. Yeah, of course. And one of your blog posts, I think you talk about debt and money and how um, you don't get that taught in school. At least it wasn't when I was. And that's something quite important for since we're children, really. It's, it's not something we, we get taught a lot. So I think I think that's, that, that's important. You, you still get, like, money to get income from your blog post? It's just a hobby now. Um. So now, so now my blog's more just a hobby. Um. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really get any income from it anymore. Um, yeah. But I just enjoy, and for me, it's a way of being able to share what I'm actually doing. Um, yeah. And it, and it's often interesting because often I write something and then people message me and go, "I've had, I feel same, or I've had same shit situation." Um, yeah. Or can you, can you help me and advise me on how to do that? So I've just finished my certificate and I did blog post on my certificate. Um, yes. looking at the, looking at my top tips, that blog post came because of an earlier blog post where I was speaking about my certificate and someone messaged me on Twitter, um, mm. asking for advice on, um, doing a certificate. So that, so the advice I gave him, I kind of turned it into a general blog post for everyone else. Um, oh, and it just grew from there. Yeah. So your blog post is, how did you get into it? So, so my blog posts. Um, I started really when I went to, when when I went to vet school, because um, I'm like my my initial goal when I went to vet school was to write a blog post every single day, um, was yeah. my goal with vet school diary. Um, what I didn't realize at that point in time, I didn't realize how much work vet school would be, but I also yeah. didn't realize how much work it would be to actually write a blog post. So yeah. though, though it's only four to five hundred words on the screen. That's that's usually about five six hours work per blog post. <laughs> once what once you actually write it, once you edit it, once you proofread it, once you get the images done, that that turns that turns into a lot of a lot of work. Um, yeah. So when I, when I first started with Vet School Diary, I, I was I was blogging nearly every day. Um, and then mm. as then as as the course got more and more intense, my blog posts yeah. became a bit less less um, common. So so I did try to blog every week where I could. But obviously, it's one of these um, some weeks where, especially when I had exams, it was just it's just a case of just trying to survive um, school. And when I was in, not in school, I was basically sleeping. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so it's one. Well, I I saw I saw a. Um, I saw an image once of a triangle with three things from your life, and you can work, you can sleep, or you can socialize. 
Um, <laughs> yes. And it's one of these. I really, I really believe that's true. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're probably right. So uh, if, if someone wants to read them, what's the, the internet address? So now now I blog under drchris.vet, um, which uh-huh. is my current one, which I've been using since I graduated through my first opinion practice and through yes. my internship. My original one was vetscorediary.com, um, which I kind of kept up. Um, yes. My, go- my goal for that was to actually make it into a blog where any vet student in any school could actually join and uh, put a blog post on there. Um, but obviously, time is always going to be an issue. And unfortunately, I've not got around to doing that yet, uh, simply because yes. of time involved. Yeah. At the moment, you're doing um, is it an internship uh, and you wanted to become a specialist. Is that right? So, so I'm just finishing my rotating internship. I finish, um, I finish my internship end of May from a rotating internship. And uh, yesterday I got a job offer um, for a surgical internship, which I start okay, in nice. June. So for me, it's one I want to specialize as a surgeon, um, mm-hmm. which has always been my goal. Um, and obviously, I went to vet school for surgery. Um, yeah. And, it, and to be fair, it makes me happy doing surgery. You've been doing out of hours as well, or do you do it still by yourself and with the nurse? How do you do that? So in terms of out of hours, I still do it. Um, I do it as part of my internship, because um, part see. of the internship is emergency care. Yeah. Um, so I do it, I do it, and I'm with a nurse. Um, so it's the two of us. Um, and basically, it's a case where we're dealing with whatever comes through the door. Um, yeah. And we do look after several other practices in the area. Um, in addition to an inpatient and any stuff already in the hospital I work in, yeah. Um, so, so it's one intense pressure. It can you, you can you can get really big pressure sometimes, um, yes. and obviously it's all about knowing what you actually need to see and what you don't need to see, and being able yes. to determine what you need to do and what you don't need to do, um, yes. and more importantly, how quickly you need to do it. Um, yes. So, so it's so one. It's, it's- it's a game of priorities, I guess. It's quite uh, difficult to determine because if you got it wrong, then you get a client on the phone next day uh, complaining that you should have done this or that, right? Yep. So, so, so it is. So it is a priority game, and it it is one. It is one. You're always scared of getting it wrong, simply because simply because if if you need to do something and you don't do it, um, that patient can potentially die from it. Yeah, um, because and it's yeah. a constant, constant stress um, about trying to get that, trying to get that line about doing enough but not doing too much. Yeah. Um, and obviously, compared to when I was a new grad, it's getting easier with experience. But it's still, it's still one. It's still a case. I can still get it wrong. Um, yeah, we still, we we all would do. I done some some of the hours some years ago myself, and I I had to stop it. It, it wasn't something something for me at the time. Um, but yes, at a certain point, you you feel like you're not doing enough for all the patients you got in because there is too many of them. Yeah, it's it is it is one where you do a lot of um firefighting, so you're yeah. really reactive instead of proactive. So if a patient came to me in during the day and was lame, um, I'd be considering I'd put on pain relief. Um, I'd be considering doing X-rays, on working up, and investigating it further. Whereas if it comes to me overnight and it's lame, it's one. It's one simply because that lameness is not likely to kill that kill that patient. Um, it's a case yeah. of I can do I can do the pain relief and make it comfortable, 
And then it's a case of getting it to its own vets to do the x-rays and to do follow-up. So, yeah. so it's one, it's one doing that, doing that's kind of good in that you felt a patient, but for me, it, for me, I don't know what happens next. And it's one of these, I do like to follow my patients through. Yes. Um, so occasionally I'd, well, well, I do see really, really cool things. Um, but I send it, I send it back to their own vets, um, to work up and follow up. Um, yeah. I don't know anything more about it, unfortunately. Yeah, and sometimes the client may get confused, thinking that maybe you don't care, and it's not that you don't care; it's that you you got to prioritize what's what's more um, needing uh, at the time, don't you? Yeah, for for me, I think I think clients are really really used to having receptionists. Yeah. Um, so when it's out of hours, I'm calling out of hours. They come through to either vet or a nurse. Um, and obviously, there's two of us in the building. We're dealing with whatever patients are in the building. Plus, we're answering phones. So, so it can it can be one. I can be doing something. I can be doing something um, with a patient. Phones rung. I've left patient with my nurse, and I've gone away to answer the phone. Um, and it's one. It's one. I've been interrupted in what I'm doing. That patient needs my attention still, and I'm trying to deal with phone. Um, and it's just balancing getting that right. I mean, even. Even when I'm operating, my nurse can still be answering phone calls and taking phone calls while I'm operating, yeah. um, which isn't which is not ideal. But it's sometimes it's the only way forward. It is. Yeah. And obviously, you do what you can. Yeah, I remember um, some years ago, I I had to go to um, to an out of hours because um, the, the vet there fell ill, so left have to leave the practice before before I arrived, and um, this was in Sheffield, you know practice that does out of hours and charity at the same time. When I arrived, there was 24 patients there. I did know nothing about any of those 24. Um, and I, it took me pretty much half of the night, just go through every single patient to try to find out, read the notes and see what they needed. Thank God it went well, uh, but it was one of these, um, you get there in the middle of the night about half past 12 or 1 a.m. And uh, and it, it can be quite daunting, yeah, it can be quite difficult. Um, What's the thing that you like less of the veterinary profession of being a vet? And what would you change if you could change something? So for me, what I really struggled with, um, I struggled with the consulting. Um, so for me, when I was consulting, I consulted the entire day. So I'd start, I'd start talking to people at nine. I'd finish yes. at 12 or one for an hour's lunch. And I'd go back into my room and continue talking to people till like 6.30. Um, yes. and I'm seeing 30, 40 people a day, um, yes. which is, which, which is a lot for me, yeah. for me, I think, I think that's too much. Um, and I don't, I don't think I was able to, able to do a good job doing that either because it's just too much. You've not got time to follow up on stuff. Um, and you, and you're supposed to be, and people respect you to be able to call them back. People want blood results. People want other test results. People want advice. Um, yeah. And it's and it's one trying to fit all that into your day is just not just not possible. Yeah, sometimes not feasible. So time pressure is probably the thing that you you more dislike of the profession, I guess. Yeah, for, for me it's time pressure, but it's also it, it's also one where where it is where it is about getting to to keep to keep practice open you have to actually see that many patients to make your profit to keep the lights on keep the door open yeah um and you're trying to squeeze as many people in as you can um because obviously if they've got sick animals they need to be seen um yes. so, so so it's one for me it's one for me if i could um i think i think making it so you see less people in a day and 
being able to do a high quality standard of med- medicine because you're seeing less people, you've got more time, um, yes. would be would be something I'd like. Um, but it's one, it's one. It just it all comes down costs end of day. So if we did that, it'd be more expensive because you're spending more time. Yes, yes, and I'm guessing in the whole in the whole country uh, with a uh, things stand at the moment like we talk. Um, with things at the moment with um, not having enough vets and having a lot more animals, um, it's difficult to attend them all. It is. It's yeah. It's one where you can see as many as you can, even out of hours. I can have I can have five six people call within a space of ten minutes, all wanting to be seen. Yeah. Uh, and there's no. Yeah, there's there's no way to see that many people um, that quickly. So I can have appointments stretched stretched out in front of me for the next three four hours within ten minutes of starting. Um, yeah. And then, and then, then you get another call which just which does need to be seen straight away, and it just pushes everything else back, um, and you're playing catch up. Yeah, it's it, it, it's quite difficult. I, I don't know how GP do do them. I guess uh, people with um in the in the human medicine with COVID, they may have been doing quite a lot of disaster medicine uh, because of that. Uh, maybe we haven't been that far. Um, but uh, yes, time pressure is something that the professionals still have to deal with better. It is. It's, it, it's one being able to ask for extra time to call people back in books in your diary each day um, instead of staying late every single day. Um, yeah. It does make a difference. Um, but in terms of cost, that, they, lo- they lose that money from you to calling people back. Um, yeah, you because, could be seeing because you're not, because you're not, you're not charging people for, for phoning them uh, with a result, obviously. We no. fought, we, we, you charged them before, but you just don't get the time to do it. Yeah, I, 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 I see that. I see that. And it's, um, one, it, it's one when you call people with results, they expect you to have a plan. You can't just go, oh, your glucose on your blood is really, really high. That's your result. <laughs> Goodbye. You, you, <laughs> no, then, it's not like that. You then get stuck where you've got to actually discuss what it means and what you want to do next and what the options are for going next. And then you then you got to write notes about your conversation as well. Yeah, um, exactly because you need to you need to follow it up. Of course, that's it, it, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yes, of course. Something that I wanted to do this um, this podcast about was about uh, people who are vets. So because I, I find that we are starting to increase a bit of a barrier between what clients and what are vets. Um, and I suppose a lot of it is to do with social media, not the blogs. You. Um, you uh, publish, but uh, sometimes when you get in the internet and find and we get slated as money grabbers and that it, we don't care, uh, when really there is a lot of care um, behind the scenes. And now with COVID and with the Brexit as well, I find that there is less vets coming in, um, more more animals because people have decided to get more animals. And, and really what is happening is there is too many pets to look after and maybe not enough vets around. Um, so I wanted to show a bit of the humanity of um, veterinary surgeons, veterinary professionals, um, uh, and talk about their hobbies as well. Um, in the email you sent me, you you talk about traveling, which I don't know if I can talk to you about traveling. We already talk about Slovakia. Um, at the moment with COVID, I don't think we can talk about traveling much because we're not going anywhere. Uh, unless you you got plans, I don't know. Do you have plans to travel? I do. Well, COVID kind of got in my way um, because my rotating inter- internship is next to an airport. Um, and one of the reasons I chose this place, my rotating internship, was I, was I get a week off every 
every two weeks. So in my road, I do seven days, seven nights, seven days off before I start again. So my my plan was to be next to an airport. My plan was to travel to a new country basically every week off oh, wow. um, through my internship, which unfortunately because of COVID um, kind of didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did you have a so, list of which countries to, tra- to, to travel to first? For for me, for me, I did find a list. Um, I did make uh-huh. my own. I literally looked at a list of list of where the actual East Midlands Airport actually flies to, and uh-huh. at that point in time, we had like sixty one countries and sixty one places on that list. So oh, wow! So my goal was to try and fly to as many of them places as I could. Um, <laughs> and ob- ob- obviously, for me, it's always when I try and travel, I always try and do it as cheap as possible. Um, yes. So so it's. So for me, it would have been getting cheapest flights, but also things like Airbnb. I've been to countries like Macedonia, where I've spent like 10 euros a night for a penthouse apartment opposite wow. the palace. And I'm like, you can't, you cannot beat it. Um, no, you cannot beat it. Uh, I completely agree. Well, I didn't know that something like that would exist. I mean, that's really cheap for a penthouse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it was amazing. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, the, the other thing you, you you talk about is about uh, book reviews. You are a very avid reader. Um, I, I don't read that much. I got to admit. Um, but when you are um, talking about uh, your your reviews, because you put your reviews in your blog post, right? Yes. Um, and 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 they're quite quite interesting. A lot of them is about surgery, but it's not just about surgery. It's also about um, the humanity of these surgeons or what's happened behind the scenes. Like there is uh, one called talking to strangers um, about um, lies and deception you wrote in your review. Um, and uh, uh, one called Whistle in the Wind, which is about a whistle blower, uh, which can be quite interesting because of the suspense uh, that comes with it. Um, is it one of these uh, books that inspires you the most something that you can tell us about which one would you choose if you tell read this one for me growing up i was always reading um especially especially when it's fiction i read a book in three or four hours i can read a normal normal book normal reading book in three to four hours time and i just get lost in it especially if it's a really good book um over christmas i read the summoner series which was a brilliant brilliant story it's 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 really, really almost along the Harry Potter theme um, with magic and creatures and so on. So for me, I really enjoyed that series over Christmas. In terms of my, in terms of books, I tend, I tend to read, I tend to read the books that are interesting. So like you said, Whistle in Wind about a whistleblower. For me, yes. for me, it's one. It can happen to anyone, and for me, I think there's a lot to do with learning from other people. So yes. for me, I've also read things like um, Harvey Cushion's um, and Genius on the on the Hedge and The Butchering Heart, which are all about the history of medicine. So Harvey Cushion obviously did a lot of brain surgery. Um, Genius on the Edge is Halstead, William Halstead, who was basically father of surgery and the Halstead principles. Um, and all these people are really, really interesting people. Um, yes. 
and there's there, there's a lot to learn from these books so for me going forward it's one it's one i do try to read these books and i try to learn from them um yeah. and i think it's really interesting finding out where these ideas have come from and how these people have actually got to a stage where they've come up with this amazing idea um yeah. and used it it's like things like the cushion reflex um where you get in, increased intracranial pressure that was actually uh -huh. developed in um in a dog where the actual part of the skull was taken out and they put a glass plate in and they've actually uh -huh. looked at the pressure increasing in the brain and actually monitored pressure increasing in the brain compared to pressure in the body. And that's how they discovered the cushions reflex. For, um, for people who are not vet, how would you explain that? So so in terms in terms of pressure, um yes. it's one where when you've got pressure in one area um yes. and the pressure in the other area is not equal. You have to yeah. try to get stuff into pressure in the in the area with big pressure. You have to try and increase pressure that you're pushing into it. So so it's almost like you're blowing up a balloon. And as you're blowing up that balloon, it's getting bigger and bigger. And bigger it gets, the more difficult it gets to blow any more air into it because of resistance increasing. Um, so with Cushion's Reflex, it's basically pressure in brain and inside skull increasing, increasing, increasing. And because this blood blood pressures and pressures increasing the rest of the blood body your blood pressure starts going up to increase and push more blood into your brain to actually get your blood to your brain so you survive uh -huh. um so 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 it's one it's one it is really interesting but the way this was developed in dogs um it just yeah. it's just one of these things that surprised me so he actually um uh, this person wasn't a vet; was a doctor, right? This this was a this was a doctor, um, one of the first human um, brain surgeons, and he discovered uh, this principle by experimenting. Like, how how long ago was this? This this was eighteen, I think it was early nineteenth, um, late eighteenth kind of century kind of time. I'm oh, I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to I'd have to look that one up um, yeah, from top of my head. That, that that's okay. I want to talk to you um something that really caught my attention and it was about flying and I thought that was really interesting. How do you how did you get into flying first? You you are training to be a pilot. What, what is this? So 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 I've always always wanted to fly. Um and it's one it's one I've end, I've ended up next to an airport. The airport's got a flying school. Um Obviously, it's COVID, so COVID's put a big spanner into works for everything. Um, yeah. But for me, um, during the gap between the two lockdowns, um, I was I was actually able to start my flying lessons. So, mm -hmm. so, so it's one it's one I did my I did my taste taster lesson. I did my test flight um, just to see if I actually could actually deal with flying in a cockpit instead of being uh -huh. in a passenger in a big massive plane. Uh, we're flying in Cessna, which is a little two seater. Um, single engine plane um which is very very different experience um being being in front you get to see loads um and for me it's one where the airport is so we've got the airport we've got the end of the runway we've got a power station off the end of the runway we've got villages we've got little man houses um being able to see it all from the sky is very very different being able to see it from the ground um and it's really funny because we've got a big massive motorway going through um through this area so the approach routes to the airport are along either side of this motorway um so mm -hmm. sometimes you're flying along and the motorway stationary below you and you see the car sitting there where you're just flying over them um wow. which is very 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 um entertaining 
Yeah. Um, but for me, it's one. It's one I started flying simply because simply because I need a new hobby. Um, and with lockdown, it kind of like restricted everything I wanted to do, so I couldn't travel. Um, yeah. Being being fair, I've moved to this new place um, at the start of the last lockdown. I've been to a pub once in the past year, um, <laughs> and. Uh, and it's and it's and it's really rather social social socially isolating because I've moved to this new place. I've not been able to make friends because there's been no clubs open, maybe no pubs. It's yeah. one of these, and people from work. I've seen people from work with masks on all the time. I've never seen I've never seen their normal faces. You don't um, even know what they look like. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know it's 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 really strange. Um, cause cause I I'd walk past these people in the street, I wouldn't recognize them. Um, cause I never actually seen a face. You know. I I, I had the same situation with um some of the new people who came into my workplace as well that they have been uh, hired um within COVID. Um, and then when you see them in the street, I think I think they work with you. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, so, so flying is something that you enjoy. is is a hobby, uh, but it's it's a stressful thing, isn't it? I'm, my, I'm. I don't think I want to learn how to fly. I don't. I do fly, but I don't like flying. Uh, um, I, I, I still don't trust the physics of having um, a metal box on the air. Um, but, uh, but I find it, I find it fascinating that in stressful job likes is to be a veterinary surgeon. Uh, you think oh, I'm gonna get into something that is also stressful, uh, which is uh, getting into a plane. Um, why? For me, flying's flying's not stressful. It, okay. It's very much pleasure. I mean, you you take your you get into your plane, you start up. There's a checklist you follow, so you follow each step on a checklist. Everything you do is all all against the checklist. So, so you start up. You get yourself to the end of the runway. You sit there and you and you literally push throttle all the way in, and you go mm. as fast as you can down this runway until you pull back and you lift off and you go up into the sky. I mean, that's yeah. that's an amazing feeling. Being able to do that is absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, uh, how? What do you want in the future with this? Are you going to be flying a helicopter or something or what? I've always wanted to try to fly an helicopter, but the they are supposed to be a lot more difficult than a plane because apparently the helicopters want to go sideways. Um, <laughs> they want to go they, sideways. They, helicopters <laughs> want to go sideways. Physically, helicopters <laughs> want to go sideways. Whereas a plane, a plane will go forward because that's the way a plane's that's made. Hard. Yes. And is it, is it difficult? Do you have to study a lot for it? Or, I mean, in comparison so, to being a vet? So, so it's one... It's one it's not like being a vet because you're learning about a plane. You're learning about one thing. Whereas yes. being a vet, you learn every single species. So, yeah, so how, in terms of... Is it as hard? Is it as hard? Is it as much time you have to dedicate onto learning about it? Because I guess it's like a manual or something. I don't know. Yeah. So, so in terms of flying, you've got your... You've got, your, you got to do at least four to five hours of flying to, get, to apply for your license with instructor. Uh -huh. um, then, then you've got to do 10 theory exams. Um, so your favorite exams, you do air law, you do weather, you do things like, um, human safety, human performance, um, you do aircraft, um, knowledge, you do flying knowledge. Um, so you so, so there, there is, there is a lot to study for it. Um, and obviously I'm learning to fly a little two seater, um, single engine plane. 
So start, starting with SoundCloud is easier than starting with these things that have multiple engines. So with flying, it's almost it's almost a kind of like you have stages. So your private yes. pilot pilot's license gives you the ability to fly a single engine two seater plane. Whereas oh. if you want to fly if you want to fly um two with two or more engines, you have to do another um, extension to your license for multi engine um, license. Or if you want to fly at night, you have to do a uh, night night training and night part field license. Or if I you want it. to fly in darkness, you have to do instrument part field so you can fly from instruments. Right. Um, and it depends where you want to fly as well. So the UK and the well EU and the world is split into different different types of airspace. So each airspace has got categories saying what you need to fly in airspace. So over London, you cannot fly over London unless you're an instrument um, instrument flight. So flights over London, they fly by instruments, not looking out the window, um, oh, simply because of the way the airspace works. Whereas me, when I'm flying up here, I'm flying on a visual um, flight rating, which means I'm looking out the window, I'm looking at what's around me. Um, and I'm seeing if there's not a plane, I'm taking action to avoid it. Well, I'm seeing what's outside and where I'm by, where looking outside. So, uh, like, if you suddenly have a really bad weather, do you switch to instrument or is it different planes? Or how, does your plane can be flown both ways? So the planes and training do have instruments that can be used like that. The instructors obviously qualified to do that, but obviously, you're flying a small plane. You, you don't want to be flying into bad weather. So if weather's bad, we don't fly. If it's raining, we don't fly. If there's cloud cover, we don't fly. Um, simply because it's one, it's one. You you have to think about safety. You have to think about being safe before you think about anything else. Um, so it's judging whether you where you should be flying. So before we go and fly, we look at the weather maps. We look at charts and we look at what the weather's doing. We look at what we're expecting it to do. Um, yes. And if there's clouds coming in, which we expect to be um, blocking off the airport within like 10, 15 minutes time, we don't fly. Or if it's a nice day, we do fly. Yes, um, so do. when you have your your license, then can you just book a, a time and a plane so you can actually do your hours? Is that how it works? So so when I get my license, um, I can rent a plane for a day. I can fly a lot of people, a lot of people from down here, they fly to Skegness um, for a day. Um, oh, so I take, they will literally take a plane, rent it for a day, and go flying off to Skegness to have ice cream on beach. Oh um, wow! Before Can you flying do that? home, yeah. Wow, I didn't know you could do that. Okay, and then uh, do you have to complete a number of hours uh, every year to renew your license? Is that how it works? You, you have to stay current, so you have to fly a certain number of hours every year. Um, and obviously, it depends what your what license you've got and what you're doing. Um, and obviously, you have to fly. And obviously, you're a pilot. You got you can take passengers. Um, you can't take commercial passengers, so you can't get paid to fly people. But yes. but but say say you want to take your friend to a beach for you, you can take your friend to a beach for you. Um, but you have to fly a certain number of hours within is within a certain number of days to be able to fly with a passenger um, in yeah. your plane as well. Um, I, I, I see. Uh, one of the things you uh, because you you written in your blog post about in your blog about um, about flying and and uh, being being very tired and having trouble landing. Do you want to to to, to tell about that experience? So so for me, it's one it's one big part of flying is about safety. Um, yeah. 
and a lot of it looks at human performance and what a human body is capable of, what the human mind is actually capable of. Um, so it does talk about things like fatigue or being maxed out or co cognitive overload, which is correct type, correct term for it, where your brain's processing too much information at time, that, or you're concentrating on something so hard that you're not focused on anything else. Um, so just for lockdown, my last lesson I was flying, we, I, I made it into circuits. So circuits where we go, we take, go onto the runway, we take off, fly around the airport, come back to the runway, land, and then just don't stop. We just land and then we go and take off again. And we uh -huh. go around in circles, just practice landings. So yes. I'd done, I'd done several landings, um, fine with no problems. Um, and we spent maybe an hour flying. So usually up until this point, I usually fly for an hour at a time. Um, but cause, cause we were expecting lockdown to happen and we we're expecting, um, time to be limited. Um, my instructor, my instructor offered for us to do a couple more. Mm -hmm. Um, so after this point, I'd done, I'd done maybe six landings with no problems. Um, and seven landing that would come in. Um, everything's looking good, but when we get to the runway, just before you land, you're supposed you're supposed to pull back, and you're supposed to bring the plane flat, so the plane just glides until it loses its power and touches touch down. Yeah. Um, so instead of being able to do that, what I did, I literally just touched down really hard, and my plane bounced um, back up again. Oh, okay. Um, right. So my instructor took over, um, and we got back up, and we got back into the air, um, and we went around again. Um, and I did the same thing again. Um, so, so, so that, so that one, we kind of left it like the, um, last landing that we did, um, and we landed and we went to part up. Anyway, we part up, um, we've gone through a checklist, turned the engines off and turned all radios off, um, got ready to get out. And when, when I tried to get out of plane, I physically, I physically, my legs were sleeping, um, and trying to move my legs. I was, I, I was struggling to walk. My legs had just gone completely, completely asleep. Um, cause obviously when you're flying, you've got, you've got several controls, you've got all your power controls, you've got your, um, you've got your yoke to control your direction and your, um, going backwards up and down, um, on the yoke. And then you've got your rudder pedals, which control the tail of the plane. So you're using your legs and you're using your, um, your hands all the time. Whereas when I tried to get out, I managed to get out. Um, it's always awkward getting in and out of these small planes. It's not, it's, it's something, it's something that's not made to be easy. There's no, there's no elegant way to do it at best of times. Okay. So, okay. so I managed to get out of the plane. Um, and I can barely walk. My legs are just seized up completely on me. Um, and my body just feels absolutely, absolutely tired at that point in time. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't realize I was so tired until, until I tried to get out of the plane. I, I thought I was fine and I was happy to carry on. And it's just like my, my, my body was exhausted and I didn't realize. You, you didn't know your body was exhausted because you, you, you're not really moving inside the cockpit, I guess. You, you are moving, but you're not, you're inside of a, a, a very cozy area, I guess. Yeah. Apparently that, um, obviously you've got adrenaline cause you're flying, um, yes. and you're enjoying yourself and you're just having a good time. Um, but it's one, it, it it's one, it's one. I just didn't realize at all. Told it took on me, and and to be fair, I was, it's it's one. I don't think I was aware enough to actually go and check myself, um, and actually feel what my body was trying to tell me. Um, so yeah. I think I think I was lacking that aware, awareness of myself as well at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and it's so you, you don't realize how much 
energy you are consuming physically and mentally, I guess. No, you don't. Um, you're just focused on you're focused on that small thing, and everything else just fades, and you don't realize at all. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of scary how tired I got and how quickly I got so tired. Um, yeah. and that, how, how long have you been flying by the time you you started to have trouble landing? So, so I've my first six six landings we did within first hour ten minutes, and oh, then after that. After that, I started. I started struggle. So when we finished yeah. about, I finished about ninety minute point. Um, so it doesn't yeah. feel like a long, long, massive time. And to be fair, it doesn't feel like that long when you're flying. It feels like you've been flying ten minutes, because uh, yeah. time literally flies. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I guess, I'm guessing um, during landing you had to be a lot more concentration. So even if it's a short period, um, it'll it'll take a lot more of of you. Right. So, so, so my instructor said that circuits are always go. So when you're in circuits, you're always, always doing something. And if you're yes. not doing something, you're, you're missing something and you've missed something out. Um, cause you should always be busy. So, yeah. so, so that is, so that is like, that is, that is an hour where I spent, I've done takeoffs after takeoffs, you do after takeoff, takeoff checks, then you do your yes. radio calls. You, you're you're dry, you're still in plane at the same time. You're looking for landmarks. You're looking at where you're going. Looking at, at your altitude. You're looking for other traffic. Um, you're listening to radio. And there's there's a lot going on. And then after you've done your radio calls, you're doing landing landing checks and preparing for landing. Um, and then yeah. once you get to that point, you're doing radio calls again, making sure you can land, asking for permission, circling if you can't land straight away. Um, and then you're preparing for your landing. So you're setting up your plane to actually land. So the entire time you're actually doing something. Um, yeah. Whereas when you're flying normally, and when I've been flying normally before, and we've been taking off, te- uh, doing checks. When we've been going off, we've been flying, we've been looking out, relaxing, um, doing different things. Um, but yeah, circuit, circuits are definitely, definitely a lot more intense than what I'd been used to. Yeah, brilliant. Um, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for taking part. Uh, it's been great. And that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope it gave you a little bit more understanding of who veterinary professionals are behind the scenes. Also, if you are involved in the veterinary profession and want to be interviewed in the show, visit the podcast website morethanjustabet.net and fill the form in the contact section. Tell me a little bit about you in the message, including your hobbies and why do you want to take part. Hasta la próxima.